Well, this morning, uh, the Lord has uh, brought a new friend into my life and the life of uh, some of us here. He did a wonderful presentation about two and a half weeks ago at our prayer fellowship about his ministry in Honduras. His name is Rob Kensinger. He is here with uh, Sherry, his wife, and his son, Caleb, and he also has a daughter and another son, and uh, they're unable to join us this morning. But he is a missionary to Honduras. But prior to that, he was a family practice physician who uh, practiced for seven years and uh, opened up his own practice prior to him leaving for seminary. And since that time, he's practiced about another seven years even and uh, has taken the giftings God has given to him and applied those in ministry. But his heart is really in the area of expositing and teaching the Word of God, teaching theology, teaching biblical truth to people. And it has been very much a blessing to get to know him. He is going to come and fill the pulpit, open the Word of God for us today. So, Rob, would you uh, let's give him a warm welcome as he comes forward. Good morning. This here. It's good to be with you this morning. As uh, Pastor Lum had mentioned that we are almost originally from Ohio. Uh, we have lived there for the last, on and off, about 15 years as a family, uh, other than going to seminary. But about three years ago, the Lord called us to serve Him in, in Honduras, primarily in the city of Seguatepeque, Honduras, which is right in the middle of the Americas. So if you think about the center of it all, it's right there in Seguatepeque. And uh, the Lord has placed a seminary there called Meta. And Meta is a seminary, one of the Master's Academy International seminaries that's there to train uh, Honduran pastors, pastors of Central America, so that they will uh, be able to teach and to disciple their own flock. And in so doing, they um, uh, are more equipped, more culturally equipped to be able to minister to their own people. We just want to make them biblically equipped with the Word of God so they know how to preach and teach the Word of God. And so the Lord has led us to serve there. Jackie was here a couple of weeks ago, our daughter, and she has been with us in Honduras for the last year uh, as we've been working on language acquisition, learning Spanish. Um, however, she is attending Cedarville University in the fall, plans to study Spanish education. And uh, so she is... Uh, uh, has gone back with Grandpa and Grandma. We came out here for our son Daniel's graduation from the Master's College. And so it's just been a, an exciting time for us as a family. But we're very excited to be able to be back with you. Uh, we had the privilege of sharing our ministry on uh, Friday night, May 2nd. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity now to open the Word of God with you this morning. And so thank you so much. Let me just mention to those of you that weren't able to be with us on that Friday, we, we, during the fellowship time afterwards, we do have prayer cards we'd be happy to give to you. It has our email address. It has our website on it. You know, you can't, you can't do anything these days without a website, right? And so it's a way that you can learn more information about who we are and what the Lord is doing in our lives. And we also have a monthly uh, prayer 
newsletter, monthly update newsletter that goes out every month. And so give you the opportunity to, um, if you're interested in being a part of that or receiving that, you can just send us an email and with your email address and we'll get you on that list. So I want to make sure that I mention that and I don't forget because sometimes I have. How many of you this morning liked to receive gifts? I mean, yeah, let's be honest. Uh, every hand should go up. I, I think we all like to receive. I think some of you have two hands up. I think I see that. Yeah, we all like to receive gifts, right? And this morning, I, I want to talk to you about some gifts from the Lord, some gifts that He's given to us, some gifts that He has provided to us. And if I were to try and quantify or qualify the gifts that God has given to us, I think, first of all, without a doubt, we would have to say Jesus Christ, right? I mean, God's Son, Jesus Christ, and all that that goes along with Jesus Christ, His Word, the ministry of reconciliation which He has given to us, all of that goes together in that, that what I would put is that first and primary gift from God. There's a second gift that God has given to us, and that second gift is for me. He hasn't given it to all of us. For some of us, He's given us the gift of singleness. For myself, the second gift is my wife, Sherry. And the Lord has blessed us. We are celebrating this August, our 25th anniversary, and we're just excited and thrilled about that. If you're married here this morning, you recognize that there is no perfect marriage, right? But there are godly marriages. And many times I've had the opportunity and privilege to share with people about what God's Word has to say about marriage. But if you are married this morning, you are aware of, of, of one thing, and that is this. I, I kind of already mentioned it, that marriage has its own set of problems, right? I, I realize we may want to talk about that quietly because we're in church and we all have our nice clothes on and we all look nice. And so we, we don't want to talk about, you know, dirty laundry and that kind of things, you know, the, the, the problems of life. But there's, there's a situation when you have two sinners and they happen to abide under the same roof. Do you know what you get? You get problems. It's just the way it works. It's just the way it works. And so I've enjoyed the opportunity to share with people about what God's Word has to say about problems in marriage. And quite frankly, Sherry and I have enjoyed God's Word and, and as it applies to our own selves. Sometimes enjoy maybe not be the best word, but we have, we have enjoyed, we, we've appreciated the Word of God and how it helps us to have godly marriages. But then there, there's a third gift that God blesses some of us with. And God blesses all of us with in some ways. And that third gift is the gift of children. That third gift is the gift of children. And what a blessed gift children are. You know, I, I just remember when we had Daniel, our, our oldest son, and then Caleb, and then Jacqueline. And what a blessing. You know, they're so adorable. They're just so cute. And then it just seems like before long, they, they morph into these little adorable pagans. Isn't that true? I mean, God love them. They are a gift from the Lord. They're a blessing. But, man, they can be a challenge sometimes, right? They can be a challenge within our homes. And, and how do we have the type of home where two sinners can get along under the one roof, and then, and then you add a third one, and then maybe a fourth one, and then a fifth one, for some of you a sixth one, or if you're like my brother, he's got nine kids. So there's a whole bunch of sinners under that roof. 
But what a blessing it is to know that we have the truth of the Word of God, and by God's grace, as He draws us unto Himself, and we might know Him as our Lord and Savior, that we have the Word of God that can help us to know the type of home that we ought to have so that we might be pleasing to Him, that we might be pleasing to Him. There are many problems that can happen when you have children. Now, children are a blessing from the Lord, but you know, we can t- you don't really want to hear me talk about for the next hour all the blessings that my children are to me. I'll be happy to do that because I could fill up far more than an hour in the way that my children are a blessing to me and our children are a blessing to us. But we want to understand, okay, what does God's word have to say that can help us today in the tough times? What does God's word have to say that can help us with the with the problems that we all have? That we all have, especially in raising our children and having the type of home that would be pleasing to God and beneficial to our children. You know, some of the problems that you run into when you're married and you have children are sometimes you have different parenting approaches. Some of you might have already had to deal with that in your life. Some of you, your children are raised and grown and you're like, oh yeah, I remember that. He wanted to do it this way and I wanted to do it that way. Or she wanted to do it this way and I I thought we should do it this way. That can create problems, can't it? Sometimes it has to do with discipline issues. You know, sometimes we believe, well, they ought to be punished for that. Well, no, not really. They're just growing. Give them a chance. No, no, they need to be punished for that. Sometimes there's, there's the, the same page that we have to get on as parents. Sometimes our children are rebellious, quite frankly. I, I, maybe that's just my children. Maybe that's just mine. There, there are times when my kids can be a little rebellious. And my children, they're, they're all adults now, which amazes me. I can't believe I'm that old, but apparently I am. That uh, our youngest is 18, and, and they're all, by definition, adults. But the, as you know, the parenting isn't done yet, right? But the Lord um, brings them along. And sometimes they have times in their lives when they just don't want to do what they're instructed to do. They have a rebellious heart. And I won't have you raise your hands this morning, but I'm sure if, I, if we were honest with ourselves, we would recognize that all of us have rebellious hearts, because the Bible tells us that we do. And if it wasn't for the grace of God and the blood of Christ, we would continue to stand in rebellion against Him. And so sometimes our children can be rebellious. And oh, by the way, sometimes parents are imperfect. Sometimes parents aren't perfect. Now, Maybe you're the perfect parent, but I'm pretty sure you're not, and I know that I'm not. And if you think there's any doubt about that, just talk to Sherry. She can tell you. None of us are perfect. And so we have all of these problems that get intertwined in our lives as just from marriage and having children. You know, those things that that many of us dream about and long for in our lives. But Proverbs 22.6 tells us something very important about raising our children in the type of home that we have. Go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6. Just want to look at this verse and, and uh, get an understanding of what it is that it's telling us. Because this morning, we want to contrast the way we should go, as you'll see in this verse, it's very familiar to us. We want to contrast the way we should go with the way that I'm sorry, the way he should go, referring to our child, with the way that he shouldn't go by comparing the child-centered home to the God-centered home so that we will be pleasing to God and properly chain our children according to his word. 
Proverbs 22.6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he was old, he will not, not depart from it. Train up your child. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Hmm. That's a, that's a powerful verse, isn't it? There are some who would read this verse and say, well, I tried to train up my child in the way he should go, and, and he departed from it. There are others that would say, well, I trained up the child in the way he should go, and praise the Lord, he wandered a bit, but that was very true. He came back to the Lord, or she came back to the Lord, and, and hasn't departed from it, and we can praise the Lord for that. But as we look at this verse, it says, train up a child in the way he should go. Well, sometimes the best way to try and focus on the way he should go is, first of all, to look at the way he shouldn't go. Maybe if we consider the way he shouldn't go, then it'll help us as we look to God's word in the way that he should go. And the first thing I would mention to you about this verse is that this is a verse in the book of what? Proverbs, which means that it is a proverb. A proverb is not a guarantee, is it? A proverb is a general statement. It is not an unaltered truth. You know, there are times when parents do their best to raise their children, and that child may continue to be rebellious, may not come to Christ. There there is no guarantee that that is going to be the case. But rather, as a general rule, as a proverb, it says, train up your child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so we're given this proverb, this general statement, And it gives us a command there in the very first word. It gives us an imperative, a command that says to train up your child. Now, we need to take a moment and think about, well, what does that word mean, to train your child? That word in the Hebrew is hanak, which means to train or to disciple. It means to broadly instruct in accordance with the proper rules of conduct and behavior, which would include both principles and teaching, according to this Hebrew dictionary, teaching holy ritual. In other words, what that word train means is to guide your children, to teach them principles, but also teach them how to do it. Teach them how life should be lived. Teach them the importance of studying the Word of God. Teach them the importance of prayer. Teach them the importance of going to church. I realize that Bobby and Susie's families may not go to church on Sunday, but our family does. That's training up your child in the way he should go. You see, you teach them the principles that they need to know, the principles from the Word of God, but you also teach them the practices. That takes time, doesn't it? That takes a process of time. This word, hanak, has the overarching idea of dedication or consecration, something that is dedicated or consecrated. In this case, with our children, we are training them up to be dedicated or consecrated to who? To the Lord, right? Because there's a reality in which our children are not our own, are they? I came to that conclusion when my son Daniel came to be about 6th or 7th grade. We had lived most of our life in Ohio. The Lord had moved us out to California for seminary. And Daniel started to have his own opinions when he got to be in 7th grade. That's the gentle way of putting it. Daniel had his own opinions, and, and 
in interacting with his own opinions, I came to the conclusion, I finally woke up and realized, I cannot control him anymore. There's a real sense in which he is not mine. He never was. He is the Lord's. The Lord has blessed me with him. And boy, that time goes quickly. The Lord has blessed us with our children, but they are not ours. And so as we raise them, we really are raising them to dedicate them, to consecrate them to the one who does own them, to the one who is their God, to Jesus Christ. And so there's this idea of dedication. In fact, that word Hanukkah is the same root from which we get the word Hanukkah. We all are familiar with the idea of Hanukkah, the Feast of Lights, or the other name for Hanukkah is the Feast of Dedication. Feast of Dedication. So as we train our children, we are are dedicating them to God and to His ways and to the truth of the Word of God. And the other thing that we can understand about this word to train is that it suggests a process. It suggests a process. Turn with me over to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, a passage that's probably familiar to you. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, in verses 6 and 7, we read this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and verses 6 and 7. This informs us of the process of training, or the process of development. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7 say this, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. What does that mean when you sit in your house and walk by the way and lie down and rise up? That means that no matter what you go through in life, you need to be teaching your children diligently, right? You need to be training them. You need to be guiding them in the way that they should go. You need to be instructing them with the principles from God's Word. You need to be helping them to understand. You need to model it for them so that they can follow after your way and understand, oh, this is the way that I should live. This is the way that I should live that is pleasing to God. And in that way, we are training our children in the way that they should go, trusting the Lord that when they are old, they will not depart from it. Early training secures lifelong habits. The MacArthur Study Bible note says, Early training secures lifelong habits. Parents must insist upon this way, teaching God's Word and enforcing it with loving discipline consistently throughout the child's upbringing. We must train our child consistently. It is, a, it is a lifelong process that we are doing. So you must train our child in the way that they should go. There's one very common error, though, that we as parents sometimes make. And I would suggest to you that there are times that we all make this common error. Sometimes some of us make it more than others. But... All of us at sometimes make this error, and the error is this. Sometimes we create a child-centered home. A child-centered home. 
Let me give you a definition of a child-centered home. This comes from a book called The Heart of Anger by Lou Priolo. Some of you may have read this book. If you haven't, let me suggest to you that you should. It is a wonderful book. He is a wonderful writer in helping us with training our children. Uh, Another book that he has written is called Teach Them Diligently, which he takes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6. But he says this is a definition for a child-centered home, according to his book, The Heart of Anger. Lupriolo says, A child-centered home is one in which a child believes and is allowed to behave as though the entire household, parents, siblings, and even pets, exist for one purpose, to please him. Not him, but the child. That all exists in that home to please the child. That is his definition of a child-centered home. The child believes and is allowed to behave as though the entire household, parents, siblings, and even pets, exist for one purpose, to please him. That is a dangerous thing, brothers and sisters. That is a a dangerous thing. What do we mean when we talk about a child-centered home? And remember, we're talking under the category of how not to train our children. Training our children in the way that they shouldn't go. Well... Some elements of a child-centered home would be this. There's no consequences. Possibly the child clearly sins and the parents allow him or her to get away with it. There's no consequences for their sin or for their behavior. Another element of the child-centered home is manipulation. Manipulation. The child reacts in anger, clams up, or cries to get what he wants. You recognize manipulation is not taught. Now, it may be enhanced through teaching, through your own example or behavior, but manipulation is something that is innate, inherent within children. And if you doubt that, let let me give you an example that might make my point. When you have an infant, beautiful little baby, and that infant goes to bed at night, and at a certain hour in the middle of the night, that child wakes up, and I don't know what that child is thinking other than maybe I'm hungry, Right, But that child starts to cry. And it's the only way that it can communicate to its parents. And it cries. And, and, and in crying, this, this person comes to the child. This person is the most beautiful person this child has ever seen. This person is loving. This person holds the child. Caresses the child. Feeds the child. Sings to the child. Nurtures the child. Obviously, this person is usually mom, right? And so the child then is put back down to go back to sleep. Now, sometimes that child goes back to sleep, right? But sometimes that's not what happens, is it? What happens sometimes? It starts crying again. Why do you think that is? I know his tummy's full. He just took three ounces. My goodness, he's only a little baby. Why does he cry again? I, I, I want that woman to come back in here. I, I want her to pick me up again and to hold me and to love me and to nurture me and to caress me, right? Now, there's a sense in which there's nothing wrong with that. That's a beautiful, wonderful thing, right? But there gets a point in that child's life where, okay, mommy needs to sleep. And you keep on crying. Why? Because... Well, I want that woman to come back in here again, right? 
it gets to a level of manipulation at a very young age. Well, if I cry, she comes in. So what do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to cry so I can get my results. You see, manipulation is not far off of that. Children are experts at manipulation. They're very good at it. We're pretty good at it, too, as adults. But manipulation, the child reacts in anger or or clams up or cries to get what he wants. In a child-centered home, that is one significant element in a child-centered home. Selfishness. The child gets whatever he wants. It's all about the child. Sometimes we know children. Sometimes maybe we have children like that where they get whatever they want. Sometimes the child is demanding. The child insists that things be done his way when he wants it and how he wants it. Very demanding. Priority. Sometimes the child becomes more important than anything else, including your spouse. Including your spouse. A responsibility. Sometimes a child has no responsibility. Sometimes it's the parents who do everything for the child. You can see how that's a child-centered home, can't you? Sometimes it has to do with communication. The child tells the parent what to do as if the child is equal or in charge. Have you ever seen that? It's not a pleasant sight. It's not a pleasant sight when a child speaks to a parent without respect and communicates to that parent as if they are somehow equal. Sometimes an element has to do with never offending that child. Sometimes parents will do anything they can do so as not to offend their child. Hmm. Let me give you some examples what I mean by these. Examples of a child-centered home. Sometimes children will interrupt adults when they're talking. Now, all children do that, right? But some parents allow that to continue. It's not wise, brother and sister. That, that can be a symptom of a child-centered home. Sometimes they'll use manipulation or rebellion to get their way. We've already kind of mentioned that. Sometimes the child dictates the family schedule, including mealtimes or bedtimes. Well, we can't have this family time because Billy or Johnny or Susie are doing all these other things. And boy, we just can't seem to get it together. But Lord knows we're not going to tell Billy or Johnny or Susie that they ought not be doing that. Or maybe they need to decrease the amount of extracurricular activities that they're doing. It seems like the child dictates the family schedule. Maybe the child takes precedence over the needs of the spouse. That can be a real problem. That can be a marital problem, can it? Where a child dictates its needs over the needs of a spouse. Sometimes the child has a more intimate relationship, not sexually obviously, but a more intimate relationship with one parent than the other, or with one parent than the parents have together. Sometimes that happens because the parents aren't ever together. Sometimes it happens because parents allow that to happen. In other words, the mom or the dad are mainly focused on pleasing the child rather than pleasing each other in their marital relationship, loving one another in their marital relationship. Sometimes in a child-centered home, children have an equal or overriding vote in decision-making matters. That's not wise, brother and sister. You know, one of my favorite, one of my favorite sayings, and this might come across kind of arrogant, and I'm sorry, but I just love to, to tell my children, you know, kids, it's good to be king. It's good to be king. And in my household, God has blessed me that I got to be king, and my wife got to be queen, and 
And our children were our loyal and faithful subjects beneath us. And when there were decisions to be made, I will be happy to hear your opinion, but then the king and or the queen together will decide. It's good to be king. I would encourage you, that's not necessarily an unbiblical approach if it's done with love. Sometimes in families, children get an equal vote or dominate the vote in everything that they do. Let me exhort you, that's not a godly or biblical approach to parenting. In fact, that can be a symptom or an example of a child-centered home. Let me give you just a few more. Sometimes children demand excessive time and attention from parents to the detriment of other biblical responsibilities of parents. Sometimes the child is so demanding that the parent doesn't get their Bible time in, their reading time, their prayer time, their ministry time. Sometimes children escape consequences of their sinful and irresponsible behavior. Sometimes they speak to parents as though they were peers. Sometimes the child is the dominant influence in the home. And sometimes the child is entertained or coddled rather than disciplined out of a bad attitude or a bad mood. I can tell you as a physician, I've seen that happen many, many times. Where little Johnny comes into the doctor's office. He's acting like a little pistol, to put it mildly. So that the poor doctor, poor doctor, can hardly examine Johnny And so, what does mommy do? Does the mommy say, or daddy, do they say, Doctor, could you just step out of the room for a minute and let me talk to my child and get them under control so that they will behave for you? No, that's not what they do. I've heard it so many times where they say, Johnny, if you'll be good, I'll get you some ice cream afterwards. I'll get you some McDonald's. Is that really the way to handle a sinful attitude and disrespect? That's a child-centered home. That's a child-centered approach and focus to dealing with this precious gift that God has given to us. God gives us these precious gifts of children. And it leads us to two very important questions. First of all, what is the problem with a child-centered home? Well, I think we can come up with some that are very obvious. But the first one has to do with Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. When you have a child-centered home, you're not training up your child in the way he should go. You're training up your child in the way that he shouldn't go. We're training up our children in the way that they shouldn't go. The child is being trained in the wrong manner. The child is being trained to think that the world revolves solely around them. Around them. The home and thus the child's life is not God-centered. It is child-centered. It creates unbiblical priorities. Unbiblical priorities that, quite frankly, don't work. They don't work. Priorities like this. The child doesn't learn to be content in all circumstances. When things get tough, we coddle little Bobby. We, We coddle little Susie rather than tell them, well, where's God in this problem? The, the teacher at school is being hard on Johnny because the teacher believes that he could do better. And we as parents, rather than saying, well, what can you learn from this? What is God trying to teach you in this situation? Maybe the teacher is treating him unfairly. Welcome to life, right? So how do you communicate to that child, well, what can we learn? How can we learn to be content even in this situation? Some parents, sadly, what do they do? Oh, How dare you treat my little Johnny like that? And they march into the school and give that teacher an earful, don't they? 
rather than hearing what it is that the teacher might have to say, or rather than trying to love the teacher and love little Johnny through a difficult time or a difficult process. And so the child doesn't learn to be content in all circumstances. Sometimes the child doesn't learn to serve others. Why would I serve others? Everyone else is to serve me, right? It's my world. Everyone is for my sake. The child doesn't learn biblical giving. Why would I want to give to others? Others should give to me. The child doesn't learn to submit to authority in a child-centered home. They don't learn proper submission to authority. And ultimately, who is our authority? Excuse me, who is our authority? It's God, right? And if the child doesn't learn to submit to authority, they're not going to learn to submit to the ultimate authority, which is God himself. The child doesn't learn to persevere. The child doesn't learn to consider all joy when encountering various trials. And the child doesn't learn to prioritize God first in all things. See, these are some problems with a child-centered home. The type of home in which we're training up a child in the way that he shouldn't go. Quite frankly, none of these prepare a child for life. And none of them prepare the child for eternity either. We don't want to have the type of home that is a child-centered home that trains up a child in the way that he shouldn't go. The second question that's very important to this is, why would, why would parents do this? Why would parents allow a child-centered home? Why would parents allow that to happen? Well, let me just give you a few possibilities as to why. You may be able to think of more. Sometimes they think that they're showing love to their child by coddling and treating their child in this way. Sometimes they they actually believe that they're loving their child by giving them everything they want. They're loving their child by never allowing them to be offended. They're loving their child by doing everything for them and not making them have their own list of chores to do. Right? But is that truly love? It's not. It's not. Maybe it's just that they're tired. Maybe they're tired. You know, we're all tired as parents. If you're a parent, you're tired. Amen? It's just the reality. It's just the reality. Sometimes it's just easier to treat them this way. It's just, it's just more convenient to allow this to happen. I, I know he's manipulating me, but I'm tired. I, I just don't want to fight it anymore. I don't want to deal with it. But we must, mustn't we? We must stand against it. The parents maybe never see each other, leaving the primary relationship to be between the parent and the child. Sometimes the parents aren't focusing enough on their own relationship, and so mom is left with the child as the only person, the only other person in the household to talk to, because dad's never there. Or maybe mom and dad both work, and so they're never having time to interact. They never make that time, and so any, the only time that they're together is time that they spent focused on the child, Right? That's not healthy. That's not healthy for a marriage. It's not healthy for the child either. Sometimes it's just personal pride. Sometimes parents allow a child-centered home because of personal pride. You know, if my child is great, then people will know that I'm a great parent. That's a danger for us. That's a danger for us. That we want to, to do everything for our child, to make our child the best. Because then people will recognize that I'm the best parent, or I'm a good parent. But if it ends up in a child-centered home, 
then we're training up our child in the way that he shouldn't go. So how do we train up our child in the way that he should go? Let me take you to one verse. Turn with me over to the book of 2 Corinthians. The book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, we read a critical verse, a verse that I would encourage you to stick into your memory because it gives us our goal and purpose for all of life. And we don't really, it's always good to look at the context of a verse, but this particular verse, the context that we want to focus on is really quite obvious. The context in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, the verse says this, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be what? To be pleasing to Him. We have also as our ambition, whether at home or absent. And what's he talking about, home or absent? Well, home or absent, he's saying, whether we're alive or, or we're dead with the Lord... We're alive with the Lord, but we're dead in this world, physically dead. Whether we're here or whether we're with God, what is our goal? Our goal is to be pleasing to Him, right? Now, we define the word train. We define it as a process. We define it as, as a, a discipling process, as a, as a uh, consecrating someone. Let me define the word pleasing for you. The word pleasing means pleasing. Did you get that? Write that down. You might want to write that down. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing. There's not a lot of other ways to define pleasing other than to be pleasing. You know, so often in the Bible we read about things that are pleasing to people. Sadly, Eve, when she looked at the fruit, she, it was pleasing to her. It was attractive to her. It's something that she desired. Well, in, in a positive sense, not in the sinful sense, we want to be pleasing to God. We want to be attractive to God. We want to be something that is, He is pleased with. We want to be the type of person that God is pleased with. And so the goal of our lives is to be pleasing to Him. And therefore, the goal of our home must be what? To be pleasing to Him. We can't be pleasing to Him with a child-centered home. We can only be pleasing to God if we have a God-centered home. A God-centered home. God should be our priority in all things, even in child-rearing. In a child-centered home, God is not the priority. We may at times think He is, but God cannot be the priority as well as the child. It can only be God. It should please us above all things that we would be pleasing to Him. This, of course, begins with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't be pleasing to God if we don't know Him as our Lord and Savior. If we haven't come to the understanding that we are sinners before a holy and righteous God, and we deserve His wrath, and yet in His grace, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross of Calvary so that we might be able to receive Him, we might have Him be our substitute, we may be redeemed by Him so that we can have a right relationship with God, And in so doing, we might be pleasing to Him. 
Because until we have a relationship with God, with through Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says that we are not pleasing to Him. We are what to Him? We are His enemies, the Bible tells us. We are children of wrath rather than the children who receive His grace. And so it all begins with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the priority of God is that we have a God-centered home and that we are pleasing to Him. There's also a priority of marriage that we must have to have a God-centered home. Remember, we talked about those gifts. The first one is God Himself through Jesus Christ and His Word and all that He has given us. We get to participate in the ministry of reconciliation. I would call that that first primary gift, that most important gift. But there's another gift that God has blessed many many of us with, and that is the gift of marriage. The gift of marriage. And with that gift of marriage, there's a priority of marriage. The priority is this, that the husband and wife are the most important to each other. It's not all about the child. And let me just give you a couple of brief examples why. When you go to Genesis chapter 2, and you read about a man and a woman leaving and cleaving and becoming one flesh, tell me where in that verse it says anything about a child. The child is not a part of that one flesh relationship. Maybe I could put it this way. A couple, a husband and wife, are a family even before they have a child. If God blesses them with a child, we'll praise the Lord. Now they're a bigger family, right? But before that child comes into existence, they're already a family. They're already one in Christ. If they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They have that one flesh permanent relationship. The parent-child relationship is not a one flesh relationship. In fact, it's a temporary relationship. As I already mentioned to you, you come to a point as a parent where you realize that child is not yours. That child belongs to God. He's only blessed you for a time. He's blessed you for a lifetime with that child. But as far as being under your supervision and your care, that child is not yours. One day that child will leave your home, hopefully. That's the plan, right? Is to prepare them to leave and to live on their own, to be prepared for that. The authority-submission relationship of children obey your parents is not forever. When they become adults, they are to honor you, but they are not necessarily to obey you anymore, especially when they are outside of your home. And so there's a priority of marriage in the God-centered home. There needs to be the priority of God and being pleasing to Him. There's also the priority of marriage in the God-centered home, and that brings some practical implications. The practical implications are this. Not everyone within a God-centered home should be focused on pleasing the child. Children do not need to be a part of the decision-making unit all the time. When children are added, it's not a democracy. Everyone may be expected to sacrifice personal pleasure if God's will requires it. In the God-centered home, children are taught to submit to authority, serve rather than to be served, honor rather than to be honored, to give rather than to take, to understand parents have other God-given responsibilities other than to meet their needs, to suffer consequences of their sinful and irresponsible behavior, not to speak to parents as though they were peers, but honor them as spiritual authorities. They are to esteem others as more important than themselves. They are to fulfill various household responsibilities, you might call them chores, and they are not to divide parents over disciplinary issues. You see, this is what a God-centered home teaches children. 
What should you do if you live in a child-turned home? Well, let me exhort you in this way. First thing, ask God for forgiveness. Second thing, ask forgiveness of your child and your spouse for allowing a child-centered home. Third, parents, begin praying together. Families, begin praying together. Inform your child of the intended change and why. Help them understand that we want to be a God-centered home. We want to be pleasing to God because that's what God's Word tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9. You should study God's Word for direction and wisdom, especially the Proverbs, I might add. Wonderful book. Interesting. Wonderful book for wisdom, huh? Start serving others as a family. And by the way, drag your kids along. Some of the best times that we've had in ministry is when we brought our kids and made them a part of the ministry with us. That is such a blessing, and it teaches your children how to do ministry. Remember our definition of train your child? That it not only involves giving them principles, but showing them how to do it. Well, you can disciple your children and teach them how to love and how to serve and how to to serve God's people in His church if you'll just drag them along. Is that always easy? No. Because we mentioned sometimes children can be a little rebellious and don't necessarily want to go. But if you lovingly exhort them and teach them and train them, they will learn. They will learn. What should you do if you live in a child-centered home? Start serving others as a family and reprioritize your lives and your schedules. The child-centered home is a home that is flipped on its head. Rather than the adult setting the tone and the standards, the child's feelings, desires, and the child's will does. Rather than the adult orienting the child's will toward pleasing God, the adult consciously or unconsciously orients the child toward pleasing himself or herself. If you want to train your child in the way he should go, all of life needs to be aimed at pleasing God. If you want to train your child in the way he shouldn't go, then all of life will be aimed at pleasing that child. The child-centered home promotes the pleasing of self, and the God-centered home trains the child in the way he should go, which is pleasing God. Let me just close with this. There's a man who found a cocoon for a butterfly. And one day, there was a small opening that appeared. And he sat and he watched the butterfly for several hours as it struggled to force its body through the little hole. And then it seemed to stop making any progress. It appeared that this little butterfly was stuck. So the man decided to help the butterfly, and with a pair of scissors, he cut open the cocoon. The butterfly then emerged easily, but something was strange about the butterfly. The butterfly had a swollen body and had these shriveled little wings. The man watched the butterfly, expecting it to take on its correct proportions, but Nothing seemed to change. The butterfly stayed the same. It was never able to fly. And in his kindness and haste, the man did not realize that the butterfly's struggle to get through the small opening of the cocoon is God's way through nature of forcing fluid from the body of the butterfly into its wings so that it would be ready, ultimately, for flight. In the same way, brother and sister, mom and dad... We might think that we are loving our children by creating a child-centered home, by helping them by cutting open that cocoon. 
by eliminating their trials and removing their opportunities to find joy and to seek God in the hard times of life. However, in reality, in this manner, we are not training them in the way that they should go. We are not teaching them how to live a life pleasing to God. Rather, we are teaching them what it means to live. We are not teaching them what it means to live a God-centered home. And unfortunately, when they are old, it is likely that they will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go. Train him up in a God-centered home that is focused on pleasing God. And when he is old, he won't depart from it. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I do thank you this morning for the truth of your word. Lord, these two simple yet clear verses can help us practically in so many ways. Lord, I pray that we will strive as we raise our children to do it in a manner that is pleasing to you, to do it in a manner that is God-centered and God-focused, because we know that that is not only pleasing to you, but it is best for our children as well. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. We ask your blessing upon it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.